I'm pleased to be joined this morning by Graham Stennett, Curator of Human Rights Collections and Alternative Press Collections, Archives, and Special Collections at UConn's Thomas J. Dodd Research Center, talking this morning about a podcast platform to let more and more people get involved in what is inside the walls at the Dodd Center. Graham, good morning. Thank you for joining me for today. Just update us a little bit about the whole podcast concept and how that's added to the availability of what's inside the Dodd Center. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. It's nice to be back on. Um, so the idea in our profession largely is, you know, we are a sort of historic uh, profession where we keep records of historic and enduring value. Typically, though, we take preservation precautions to keep uh, the material alive. So people have to come in kind of under our terms to look at the material. The goal of a podcast basically is to try and get the material we have sort of out into other formats. Um, you know, we have an extension audiovisual collection. So having like sound recordings in the vault that we can then digitize and put online or do, you know, podcasts, interviews with folks who have engaged with that stuff is one extra way to kind of get um, the archives out into a landscape where people typically would not expect to find historical material that might be of interest to them. The archives. But really, the way you just pronounced it is not the way the Dodd Center pronounces it. Do tell. Well, the name of the podcast is Darshiv, and that is kind of a French origin word for where archives come from. A lot of our uh, standards and initial philosophy around the concept of an archives is a French tradition um, phrases like the word uh, provenance, which basically means where is the sort of history of one document, who has inter interacted with it, who created it, tells us a lot about the history of one object as it sort of passes through time. Um, so these sort of French phrases kind of get used a lot in, in archives world. And what kind of podcast have you got that would interest fans of Lord of the Rings? Well, that's an interesting question. We have uh, only one episode uh, so far, but the goal of the podcast is to try and grab as many sort of disparate and maybe interesting that you could more or less unpack through the collections that we have at UConn. One of those was um, sort of a deep dive that I did on uh, the history of how um, fan culture largely has adapted from the 1960s uh, up to about the mid-1970s when Tolkien died. Uh, we have a very extensive alternative press collection, which documents largely radical underground culture, uh, political movements, and a lot of those folks were really identifying with what they saw as the philosophy within the Lord of the Rings, things like ecology, things like the anti-war movement, peace, um, preferring food to, you know, industrial manufacturing. Um, and so within our collections, you could kind of tease through where origins came from for people to wear buttons that said things like um, Go Go Gandalf or uh, Middle Earth to join the UN, these kinds of things. So lots of archives have fanzines, um, they have newspapers, and uh, the journals of these origin organizations that were really fan-driven, but not in the formal mainstream publishing uh, wing of, you know, say, Bantam or Ballantine Books, which produced The Lord of the Rings. And the Archive episode number 50 was Hippie Hobbits. And episode 50, that's a milestone for you, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so we've been doing this for about five years. Uh, I know in podcast world, you know, you yourself, you have a podcast with every interview you've done, and you're in the hundreds <laughs> because you've been. I think it might be the thousands, Greg. <laughs> okay, even beyond. Um, so for me, you know, not having the full time job be go out and create podcast content, um, five years worth of creating uh, podcasts with my fellow staff at the archives, with faculty, with students, folks from various uh, sort of overlaps with the collections that we have has allowed us to kind of push these out as just one extra platform of our outreach um, mission to kind of engage people because literally archives are for everyone. And so that's why you can find so many disparate um, topics at hand, ranging from railroad photography to children's literature uh, the history of Yukon, um, World War II records, this kind of stuff. So 50 is a big number for us. Uh, I wish I could do it all the time, but uh, I'm very thankful that I can do it a, a part of the time. It looks like it's your voice. It's on all 50 of these archives. I have been able to actually pass the mic maybe three times uh, over the last five years to a coworker of mine. They would then interview, say, a donor or someone that they know who is very actively researching a collection, um, kind of hot topic moment, and pass the knowledge source to that host um, so that they can, or sorry, pass the host off to the, to the knowledge source so that they can really follow through with the correct questions for that topic. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I started doing the radio training at WHUS uh, back in early 2017 to be able to get the engineering requirements to run the board, and uh, it's been a great boon ever since then. I've really enjoyed it. And Graham, you just said that podcasts are for everyone. What sort of audience are you hoping to engage? Yeah, um, so I should also mention that this podcast is a simultaneous radio show that we have on WHUS every Monday morning at 10 a.m. for about an hour. Uh, So that means the local community, of course, anybody who can turn on the dial to WHUS 91.7, but also the podcast itself typically is for those who are looking for that very niche topic. Um, you can go on to whatever platform you use for podcasts and search for uh, hippie hobbits or railroad photography, and out of you know the world of audio recordings that are up in, in the podcast universe, you will be able to pick out this one in particular, uh, hopefully, and recognize, okay, archives may be linked to this thing that I'm very interested in, and uh, hopefully that sparks a little bit more curiosity to come and, and dive a little deeper into collections. Now, Graham, I got into my uh, DeLorean time machine here with Marty McFly, and I went back to 2017 and found your first The Archive, your first podcast, and it's punk rock in the archives. And I got to think that there's not a lot of people listening to me right now that connect punk rock and the Dodd Center. Is there a connection there? Yes. Um, so we have uh, somewhat of an extensive, very local Connecticut punk rock collection. Um, it extends from this alternative press collection I was mentioning, which more or less goes up until about the late 1970s and its underground, you know, sort of countercultural uh, representations through print form and audio. Punk rock is a natural transition from that period. Um, there's a lot of DIY aspects within that culture. There's a lot of home recordings, people printing flyers for the shows that they're cooperatively organizing often in spaces uh, that are not sort of on the main streets, so to speak. Um, And it's very ephemeral. You know, the way that people would print show flyers for a show next weekend uh, 
those are here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. And if the archives does not step in to try and track down and record that these events happen, um, you know, you wouldn't really have the history of, say, Willimantic Punk's uh, strength in the late 70s up until the 2000s. You know, many different venues have come and gone over the years throughout the state, uh, and uh, that's something that's worth documenting. And it's definitely an underground culture that, that is also uh, representative within the alternative press. All right, let me pull this out of left field. Of your 50 archives, archives that are on the podcast, is there, are there stories that talk about Willimantic or Mansfield or Lebanon or Coventry, Columbia, the, you know, our local towns here, perhaps in, the, in a historical mode? Yeah, I mean, kind of touching off from the uh, punk rock uh, topic from that episode, I just did one number 49 uh, with a fellow colleague librarian, Rhonda Kaufman, who grew up in stores, went to college at UConn, um, and was very active in the zine creation and circulation scene, which is kind of an underground printing, uh, you know, collective more or less network of, in her case, women in the 90s, sharing their personal experiences through these printed, small-form, free, largely publications. And she kind of walked through where all the sites were in stores in Mansfield where you would kind of go to do this production. You know, you would go to the uh, the Store 24 to have your um, zines printed by the one particular person who knew how to, like, staple them for you. And then you would go over to this coffee shop and you'd begin writing them and you'd then go to the, the P.O. box that they had and... Um, it's nice to kind of hear not even that distant of a past, but how it engages us with where the information is being created that we are now looking at as historical objects. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention too was, uh, I got the good fortune to interview, um, uh, let's see, now I'm (laughs) blanking on the name, um, yeah, the director of the library back in, uh, the 1960s and early 1970s. He oversaw the uh, sort of functioning of the library at the time when it was Wilbur Cross at the University of Connecticut. And he actually was there when a black student contingent of protesters took over the library, demanding largely representation, uh, demanding an African-American cultural center, um, demanding, you know, there be sort of an end to racism in intellectual protection uh, and also one of the things that they demanded was that the library represent um, third world and black scholars who would give us a different perspective in our academic thinking. And he actually was the um, representative who, who shared the demands from the students back out to the police to try and do a back and forth during this very long night of uh, protest and students sit in at, at the University of Connecticut. That was in 1974. Um, so I'm, I was really happy to speak with him because he passed away uh, two days after that, unfortunately. Um, so it was a very, very close to home uh, recording that I've done there. And for the folks who only know the Yukon Library is the current edition, the Babbage Library, the building that Graham is talking about is the one just to the northwest of the Babbage Library, that gold dome building that used to be the Yukon Library. I remember cramming for exams in the stacks there at the old Yukon Library. Hey, while we're back in <laughs> ancient history here talking about that, it's an interesting tie in that today is World Environment Day. The UN General Assembly established World Environment Day in 1972 to mark the opening of the Stockholm Conference on the Human Environment. But Earth Day began two years before that. 
And you actually have a podcast talking about Earth Day and the 1970 student anti-war movement at the University of Connecticut. Norman Stevens, again, was the, the correction, the name I wanted to mention from the individual who was the head of the library previously. But A frequent morning show guest here, including one morning when he did a whole morning show interview on wooden spoons. That's our man, Norman Stevens, who, by the way, also was a survivor of the hurricane of 1938, another show he did here. So anyway, go ahead with Norman Stevens and then uh, the Earth Day talk. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so Norman Stevens, great to be able to speak with him, um, and his memory was fantastic of that. But uh, So as far as the Earth Day activities were concerned, you know, it was a very early organization of students and faculty who got together to largely talk about what was not really yet on the National Register. I mean, people had been talking about it in the alternative press movement, of course, student activism on campus about ecology broadly, but there wasn't really a unifying day. You know, there was no Earth Day yet for us to put on our calendars, so to speak. But what was really fascinating about the experience at UConn is that it also happened at sort of a peak of what um, students of color saw as sort of advancing um, you know, discriminatory uh, culture on campus. A lot of folks were being punished for doing things like this black student sit-in, which I know happened after, but there was not a lot of representation. And so for the predominantly white students to have a um, Earth Day talk conference celebration at the exact same time when there was a similar protest and conference happening on campus about racism at UConn, it really drew a bit of a wedge between, okay, how can our activism touch both of these topics at the same time and not exclude each other in terms of a priority of what's really important? So it was a very important time to talk about things that we are still talking about. You know, how is it that we can kind of have a multi-faceted uh, approach to the way that we want to see change? Graham, you talked earlier about that podcast about punk rock. Who knew there was information on that in the Dodd Center at UConn? But just speaking on a broader level as far as music is concerned, would your podcast, The Archives, include information about the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Bob Dylan, Madonna, Taylor Swift, you know, there was big name musical artists? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. So I typically use the radio show to kind of be the backbone for the musical um, recording. So when I actually was on your show with another local guy, George Jacoby, um, he was a guest curator of an exhibit we did at the Dodd Center on Dayglow and Napalm, which was sort of a retrospective of 1960s counterculture on campus. And uh, that was a great ex- episode that he and I were able to do on WHUS where we could play some tunes, you know, talk about what were the prominent songs that really got people thinking about where they were in life and, and as a individual within the United States at that time. Um, but doing podcasts now, I realize a lot more about things like the copyright issues that we come up against. And as far as being able to play music um, in its entirety on a podcast, that's typically not looked upon as a, a good way to engage with material that people are literally charging for and making a living off of. So I'm able to at least play the music that I am referencing in the podcast, at least for a handful of episodes on the radio and not really run into that same trouble of digitizing and, and uploading um, material uh, onto the internet. Yeah, we've come across that same trouble here with some of our podcasts too that involve parts of music. Graham, let's save the best for last. How do people get access to these podcasts, the, the archives through the Dodd Center? 
Yeah, you can, of course, listen every Monday uh, at 10 a.m. on 91.7 WHUS. Uh, you can engage with the podcast through our website um, at uh, Dodd Center and Archives at UConn.edu. And then, of course, anywhere where you get your podcasts, including the Wayne Norman Show, uh, we are also present on those platforms. So feel free to just type in. It is D uh, apostrophe archive. Um, I know the French gets in the way a little bit sometimes, but uh, if you just search Archives UConn Podcast, you'll find us. And, you know, later on this morning, you're going to be archived on our podcast page and our website. So it's, it's all coming around in one big circle here. Graham, this is great, and I really appreciate you joining me for today. It's kind of a fun concept you've got going on with so many topics, and it's a way for people to access the information that's inside the Dodd Center, D-Archive, which is a fancy way of saying archives. Graham Stennett, our guest this morning, curator of Human Rights Collections and Alternative Press Collections, Archives, and Special Collections at UConn's Thomas J. Dodd Research Center, and all that almost fits on his business card. Graham, great job. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Wayne. Good to chat with you again. Be well. You bet. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.